football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson, talking all things Week 10 in the NFL. But first, a note from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. We're all first-time depositors that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF. We'll receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the country, it's Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF, receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. It's a no-brainer, $40 of value for $20 bucks plus the opportunity to win even more. All right, Sam, let's get into all the action here in Week 10, starting with Thursday Night Football. How hard could it be in the AFC South, where it's tied once again, the Indianapolis Colts pull away from the Tennessee Titans there was a point in this game we talked about how it was a pick em, it was evenly matched they had almost near identical PFF grades but we're talking a block punt and a couple you know quirky plays that skew things a little bit but the Colts pull off the win and they'll be playing again in a few weeks for uh you know the battle for the lead again in the AFC South yeah and this was a huge game for them for exactly that we've reached this point in the season where like these uh divisional games are massive for the outcome of taking the division and seeding and those kinds of things the titans if they'd won this game had like a 90 percent chance of clinching the division because of tiebreakers and taking the lead etc the colts by winning put it back to almost a coin flip like it's i think there's a slight edge to tennessee still but they that like this was a must i mean people talk about must wins all the time this was as close as it gets to a must win for the colts to actually have any shot of winning this division and they did and yeah this is not a bad performance by them one of those quirky games i mean we're really talking a couple plays change yeah. things between a block punt aj brown has a drop that probably goes for a 70 yard touchdown and saves my fantasy team that you know, mm. everybody wants to know about mm. that um, but legitimately you come out of the game and it's like man the titans couldn't do anything offensively and i don't think anything sums up the idea that the offense has as much to do with that as the defensive well more because aj brown breaks free and should have had a 70 yard touchdown but he drops it and then all of a sudden you know ryan Tannehill's yeah 15 completions 140 yards and it feels like a pedestrian outing right defense does a great job of slowing down the titans right well the titans did a better job of slowing down the titans and it's just one play but it it was a huge factor early in the game and um you know, Philip Rivers did a pretty nice job distributing the ball. Naheem Hines goes off yes. in the run game and as a receiver. Um, the Colts are kind of rounding into shape as a team that, you know, Michael Pittman making a ton of plays, the, the rookie possession-y type of receiver. I think the combination of Pittman and T.Y. Hilton and what Naheem Hines adds and Mo Alley-Cox, it reminds me of the Steelers a little bit now 
where they're all starting to come together and they've got some guys to distribute the ball to. You know my favorite stat in this game is? What's that? So Roger Saffold gets hurt, misses some time, gets replaced by Jamil Douglas. If you add their pass-blocking grades together, they were just over 10. Oh, gosh. 10.7 combined. Roger Saffold had a pass-blocking grade of 3.6. Thanks to DeForest Buckner. Yes. And, and friends up front. I mean, that's it's the Colts in a nutshell. I'm talking about the receivers and how, you know, it's a bunch of pretty good guys that come together to make a pretty good receiving core. I feel the same way about the Colts' pass rush, their defensive line between DeForest Buckner, Denico Autry, Justin Houston's getting old and he's hitting free agency and all that stuff, but he can still get after the quarterback a little bit. Tyquan Lewis has his moments. Grover Stewart's playing pretty well. It was a really nice performance up front by the Colts, who had an 85.5 pass rush grade as a team. And I think that's the big question for the Titans going forward since Taylor Luan went down and the rest of that offensive line has, uh, has also struggled just a little bit. Yeah, it's starting to creak now, which is a problem when, again, Derrick Henry may be a beast, but Derrick Henry needs some kind of platform to work from. And at the moment, he doesn't really have it. Neither does Ryan Tannehill. Isaiah Wilson, their first-round draft pick, hasn't made it onto the field yet between yeah. legal issues and just presumably not being very good yet. Um, and they could really use that kind of reinforcement. Tyson Brelo's actually done okay at left tackle, and he was far from the worst problem on the offensive line. But the point is, Tyson Brelo is your left tackle, and you have other issues as well. Like the, the Titans' offensive line is becoming an issue, like a pretty significant one. So yeah, impressive game for the Indianapolis Colts. And again, we'll see these these teams in a couple weeks in a rematch. All right, let's get to all of the Sunday action in various order. Let's start with Sunday Night Football. Okay. Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. We said it was one of the games of the week. Now look, there'll be some times where we were wrong. Okay, we'll get to the Pittsburgh game in a minute or maybe many minutes. But... Sunday Night Football, we said it was one of the games of the week. The Baltimore Ravens at the New England Patriots, a seven-point spread. New England pulls the upset, not only covering, of course, but winning the game as well. Weather was a, was a factor. Yes. And uh, it was it was kind of fun where the rain – you hate – you like weather games, right? Renner hates them? Usually, yeah. Though I was – I took against the weather game for the Browns, uh, Browns game because it ruined everything I wanted to say about that game. Right. Generally, I like weather games. It was supposed to be a lot of points in that yeah. game. Yeah, you can't. Um, it became torrential in the second half and toward the end, and that's when, when Baltimore's trying to mount a comeback, and you could yeah. barely even uh, – Honestly – They can't even get a snap off. Those last couple of drives, it genuinely felt like their plan should be to just – you know, the, the last play of the game thing where you just, like, set up for craziness? They should have just done that, but with Lamar, right? It's yeah. like, just drop, drop back. back and let him weave Everyone block. Receivers don't even think, like, just block. Don't even try and get open. Just run a guy off or block yeah. him. Let Lamar just take off and find, like, literally play sandlot, you know, football and just let him try and beat six guys on his way to a 30-yard gain because you can't, you can't, like, throw and catch in this weather. Yeah, I mean, Chris basically said the same thing at one point. He's like, go get him, Lamar. It was, I mean, drop back and... You know. I mean, you saw, like, literally the last play of the game, they tried that ridiculous, you know, lateral to the death thing, and they couldn't, eat, like, one pass drop. Like, it, the weather was the weather was bad enough that you couldn't trust players to just pitch and catch, at which point if you're trying to mount, like, a quick hit and comeback through the air, it's just not happening. Whereas Lamar in the rain is probably at least as, if not more dangerous than he is in the dry. 
What are your thoughts on the Patriots' performance? I mean, you're talking about a team that I think is is certainly limited. All the stuff that we've talked about offensively, they found something in Jacoby Myers, you know, a receiver who can get open. They're, they did, and I thought last night was one of their better games, scheming it up. The first touchdown, they get Rex Burkhead into the flat. I mean, the offense still feels like they're not explosive. They're just not going to put up 30 points week after week, but they're stitching it together. You know, go for it on fourth and ones. You've got Cam on the sneak. You've got Cam running the ball. Um, what are your thoughts on the Pats, their game plan, get, you know, pulling this thing off? So the only thing I don't like about weather games is that I don't know that you can take much from them. Like, I, I find them entertaining most of the time. I think they improve the game from a while. See, I, like, you introduce, I disagree, man. you introduce an area of chaos to the game that I think makes it more entertaining. But I think that's a part, like a part of football is being able to adjust to that. It is, but they happen so infrequently that I don't know that you can take a huge amount from it. So this game, if you were evaluating what happened in this game, you would say that Baltimore, you say that the Patriots are are a match for Baltimore, and you know are better than we thought they were. They could go, they could write this thing a little bit through the down the stretch. The Ravens have some major problems. Blah blah. blah. No, like the New Englanders better equipped to deal with crappy conditions than Baltimore were, and they won the game. I do think there's something to this idea that they're the, like the only team that actually practices in shitty conditions. Like when it rains like that, the Patriots stay out and play. When it rains like that anywhere else, they go inside to the bubble because you can't get anything done in that kind of weather. I think that's probably significant in terms of how they perform in that kind of weather. Problem is that only happens like once a season. So I, I think – Part of part of football, though, is to be able to adjust to the weather, whether or not that's W E A T H, whether or not uh, the Patriots did a really nice job running the ball. Damian Harris running the ball really well for them. Mm-hmm. You mix in Cam over ten times in the run game as well. I mean, it's kind of your game plan of keeping the ball away. But I just I don't think that the Ravens are as scary as they were last year. They're not. The run game's not the same. The pass game's not the same. Lamar, <clears throat> turnover-worthy plays again. You know, he threw, he throws one. He got a, he only had the one official interception, throws one right to Devin McCourty. Again, the rain was a factor in all that stuff, but even before the rain was a huge factor, he has the interception before the half that he throws to J.C. Jackson, who continues to make plays. J.C. Jackson's becoming, what, Xavier Howard, Marcus Peters-ish, yeah. where it's like, they're, they're, he's making plays on the ball. You know, he's he's creating turnovers, even though he'll get beat every now his, and again, right? Like the co- his coverage numbers for his career are ludicrous. Yeah, they're not like his grade isn't as good as that because he's ridden a bit of luck in either direction. Um, but his actual statistics are ridiculous. I mean, the other part of this whole thing is Jacoby Myers was the best passer in the game. Yeah, that <laughs> he throws up. It looks like a prayer, and then Rex Burkhead just runs right under it for the uh, touchdown. That was a beauty. Former quarterback, as Chris highlighted a few times. Had a whole package like of yeah. highlights and stuff. That was kind of impressive how they got that together as quickly as they did. NBC does a really good job of having all the stories ready. Again, I go back to when they had Brandon Ayuk high, you know, high jumper and had some high school highlights after he leaped over somebody. Like, how do you have that thing ready to well, go? Well, this is why prep. for them, like when you shift a game on Thursday, you're like, actually, you're covering somewhere else now. Like, for another for another uh, broadcast, it might not be a huge amount of issue, right? For NBC, where they're diving back into a guy's high school tape on the off chance that he attempts a pass in the NFL from the wide receiver position, that's an issue. That's also, I mean, that's how Belichick uh, scouts, too. 
He knows everybody that was a high school quarterback, you know, both sides of the ball. He's like, you know, I, I anticipate this guy's going to try a trick play against us. He was a high school quarterback. We know all this stuff. Cam Newton's calling him a magician, calling him, you know, whatever he is, knowing what's going to happen in a game. I thought the Patriots did a really nice job. Uh, both sides of the ball, slowed down the Ravens' rushing attack. And again, I, my biggest thing with the Ravens right now is Lamar as a passer. And I, th I think part of the reason why this thing was closer is because Cam Newton doesn't have the stats this year. But the last few weeks, he is starting. It's a, it's a very controlled passing game, but he's taking better care of the ball. He's moving the chains. He's actually throwing the ball pretty well these last few weeks after he had quite the lull in the, you know, weeks, what, three through seven or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, just finding the one guy you have that can get open and actually relentlessly targeting him, it sounds ridiculous and stupid and too simple, but it's better than not doing that. You know what I mean? Like just identifying a guy that can actually separate and targeting that guy buys you a significantly larger margin of error as the quarterback, and it's important, and that's what they've done recently. But again, I, I think there's a danger in getting too carried away with this result. Like we just saw this team barely crawl past the Jets they didn't become the Super Bowl New England Patriots again because they played in crappy weather and the Ravens couldn't function. They're still not great. They're not. Um, the Patriots, though, being four and five at this point, is even though it didn't happen exactly as planned, it's kind of what the expectation should have been coming into the season, right? If you flip the game where they lost to the Broncos, right, beat the Broncos, lose to the Ravens, them being four and five at this point, shouldn't be you know based off what we saw just after week one shouldn't have been that big of a surprise the biggest thing that they got break their way yesterday was buffalo losing on a hail mary like if the bills had won that game which they were why you, know, you still think they have a shot at the division here i mean they have a shot right they're only what three games back i mean they have to go through the dolphins too sure i mean i'm not saying it's easy you're for the first time in 20 years you're not the favorite for the division and given your situation at this point in the season, you might not even be second favorite, but it's not dead the way it was like a week ago. You got a win, you got an unexpected win, and the team at the top of the division got an unexpected loss. You suddenly you're a lot closer this time than you were seven days ago or a day ago. Are they missing something here? We're four and five, right? I only see six games left. The uh, <laughs> talking out loud to myself here. It's a podcast. Nice. Uh, rest of the schedule includes. Texans next week, you still have to play. Oh, it's the Jets game that was missing from the schedule I was looking at. Still have to play. You got the Texans next week in Houston. Cardinals are a tough game in a couple weeks. Chargers are always a tough game, even though the Chargers can't win actual mm. games. Um, but the Rams in prime time, and then you have the Dolphins and Bills again. I mean, it's not an easy road for New England, given that you know most of those teams are better than them on paper. But yeah, I you know, know, I think they're I think they're close to that eight and eight type of record that we were looking at but they're still alive yes and it was an impressive game and that's I, I thought it was one of the games of the week because I thought Belichick versus Lamar would be a nice matchup and it was and uh you know disappointing effort from the Ravens Ravens also lose Jack Doyle to a pretty gruesome looking knee injury um they were Nick, or, sorry Nick, Nick Boyle Nick Boyle yes Jack Doyle Nick Boyle. it rhymes it does can we just edit that out yeah yeah it was tidy up it's cool um just kidding significant though because they were already like one of the things people were talking about is the lack of tight ends that they had these three tight end packages from a year ago that were such a hallmark of that offense you ship off Hayden Hurst as a kind of cut bait deal 
now it's been Mark Andrews pretty much on his own already. Now you remove another option. Like it's literally Mark Andrews on his own. Now you actually have to use the wide receivers that we've been saying are A, not good enough, and B, not a design part of this offense. Like that completely changes the constituent parts of this offense and forces you to play in a different way that you probably don't want to do or try and find tight end help from somewhere, which is not going to be easy. Yeah, and Boyle, is a, he's a good run blocker. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. Um, and, and that is one of the interesting things, I think, when we get to the offseason, the real season, which is the offseason and team building year, team building season, where do they go? Do they go back to this, like, we want three legitimate tight ends out there or do they go to receiver and say, look, Marquise Brown, yeah, he's a good deep threat and all that stuff, but it's just not happening trotting your boy Willie Sneed out there as a, you know, a number two, so to speak. You, you, they drafted Devin, uh, Duvernay, but they probably need a little bit more firepower outside as well. This offense needs to have the same kind of um, evolution that we talked about with the Sean McVay system, et cetera. Oh. Like Greg Roman. This is Roman is interesting as well because it's like the second time that this has happened yeah the you know the Kaepernick era where it was it took off it was so incredible it was um tearing the league to pieces on the back of a really talented roster and then it didn't kick on it didn't develop it didn't change and everyone else caught up with it and I think Kaepernick took the blame for that by and large like Kaepernick didn't evolve as a quarterback therefore the offense plateaued and teams figured it out and shut it down but you could also lay some of the blame at Greg Roman that the system didn't evolve either. And as long as the system isn't going to evolve, inevitably teams are going to catch up to what you're doing and stop it. That's happening again in Baltimore. And again, like, you know, Lamar, Lamar might get away with um, not taking the bulk of the blame because he won MVP, right? So the, he built up a certain level of credibility that Kaepernick didn't necessarily. So with Kaepernick, it's easy to go, well, he never became good enough for that to happen. With Lamar, it's like, what well, we saw the guy's an MVP, but your system hasn't evolved and helped him out any, so you're, you're the guy getting the blame. Either way, the point is the system is stagnated and somebody needs to figure out a, a next wave of, of evolution to yeah, it. I think it's a good point, something to keep an eye on. You know, I think ultimately Baltimore's, Baltimore's fate rests in the hands of Lamar. And I've been saying it since week one, it felt like, there was too much on his plate. Even there, there was a few games earlier in the year where it's like the offense isn't really moving the ball, but Lamar had three or four big-time throws that changed the course of the game or they happened in the red zone or whatever it was. When you don't have those, it's just inconsistent offense. And I think weather aside, that came back to bite a little bit. And he's so – because of what we've been talking about, that Lamar is so intrinsically linked with the offensive system. You know, the whole thing is custom-built around him – in a way that isn't true with some other young quarterbacks, like he need, like he's tied to the guy that built the system, right? So Lamar actually, it, it is, it's him that determines how good this team is going to be going forward, but it, he needs the guy that built the offense around him to figure out how to build the next phase. All right, let's move on to the Buffalo Bills and the Arizona Cardinals. What a ridiculous finish. Yeah. Both ends. I mean... Look, Josh Allen did not play a clean football game. He was trying to throw the ball to Patrick Peterson the entire game. Finally succeeded once, right? Then throws an absolute laser beam early to the right, to a perfect spot to Stephon Diggs for what looked like the dramatic game 
winning touchdown. Yeah, he almost erased an entire game full of like old Josh Allen, bad decisions, terrible throws, ridiculous plays. Um, one where he's like in the grasp getting sacked, just blindly heaves the ball up in the air in the general direction of, I think, just like colored jerseys, right? These guys wear the same color as me. I'm just going to like could easily have been picked off, ended up going for a catch for a couple of yards. Um, he had like a whole game full of these things and then almost erased the entire thing with that one, like what, she, what looked like a game-winning touchdown to Stephon Diggs in the end zone. Absolutely perfect pass. And then just enough time left on the clock for the Cardinals to execute an absurd Hail Mary. That was some full Josh Allen experience, though, wasn't it? Everything that you said, you know, trying to throw a crosser underneath right to Peterson that gets dropped. I mean, he was trying to throw picks. Then, I, I mean, Josh Allen under pressure is just the best. Like, how many other quarterbacks are like, hold on, I'm not going to actually try to throw it under pressure. I'm just going to try to stiff arm you for a little bit, hold you off, actually break the tackle, and then do something else. I mean, it's just the whole thing is, is awesome. That was so much of the game. But um, he makes that incredible play. But the story of the game is the Hail Mary. Kyler Murray scrambling out in Aaron Rodgers-like fashion to create a little bit of room, puts it up. Let's Let's not – I mean, we're PFF here. Let's not give credit where credit shouldn't be. You know, this it's not worth – it's not like pinpoint placement or anything like that that led to the Hail Mary. That is Nuke Hopkins going up and making the play. But just – you gave him an opportunity, and Hopkins, man, what an incredible play. Yeah, I mean, it is – it's a good play by Kyler Murray, right? Getting – being able to put the ball into the end zone from the situation he was presented with is a good play. He got out of some problems, was running to his left, managed to reset, put the ball – in the end zone, in the general direction of Nuke Hopkins, right? It's not like he put it on Nuke Hopkins. He just put it in the end zone. Nuke was the guy that got there. So that's a, you know, that's a reasonable play by Kylo Murray. But it's like an all-time great play by Nuke Hopkins. Like that guy goes up in the middle of three different Buffalo defenders and gets four to six inches higher than any of those three guys to catch the ball cleanly with both hands and come down with it with those guys trying to, to rip it out. Insane. Also, like, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. Like, we forget New Hopkins is not, you know, 6'4". Guy's 6'1". Like, he's an inch taller than Stephon Diggs. He feels like he's 6'4", doesn't right. he? And, the way he plays. Being able to, again, going up and being six inches higher at the catch point than those guys right when the ball lands in your hands, when you are only 6'1" was again just another element to the ridiculous play um but it's it's that perfect kind of poster picture right it's the sea of hands and nukes are in the middle just six inches higher than everybody else is coming down with that ball it was an incredible play by him i do still think that it was a bad play by the buffalo defense like how do you let that happen three guys are going for that ball just do not let him catch it you don't have to make a play on it yourself just don't let him catch it if it costs you a penalty that's still better than letting him catch the ball cleanly. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, you know, so Kyler Murray makes the throw. Kyler Murray had an incredible run for a touchdown. That was yeah. fantastic, right? He does it again. Two touchdowns um, on the ground. Right. I mean, the one on the keeper where he's just juking through the D. It's awesome, right? He's become a, a run game cheat code. And the point I want to continue to make is he was inconsistent as a passer yesterday. You know, miss, he's missing more throws than you would like to see. 
but you make up for it with what you do on the ground. Please, I beg of you, just like last week, I begged, do not cite Patrick Mahomes having 25 touchdowns and one interceptions and say, there's your MVP candidate. And they did. Kyler Murray is not the MVP candidate because Nuke Hopkins is awesome. It did not put him in the MVP conversation because a Hail Mary prayer was answered. Kyler Murray has the same number of rushing touchdowns as the Tennessee Titans. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, great. No, he's he's fantastic. He's also, like, it's, yes, it's not just that, though. Um, Like, his numbers this year are insane. Like, he's on pace to have maybe the best rushing season of a quarterback ever. He's also putting up pretty insane passing numbers. Like, his production this year is going to be absurd. No, I get it. I mean, he's been he's been excellent. But I'm just saying, like, the MVP discussion isn't based off of Nuke Hopkins, you know, bossing three bills. It's not because of that play. Okay? That's it. All right. Just like Aaron Rodgers got all the credit for all those crazy Hail Marys, Hail Marys that he pulled off. All right? QBs are not the guy on the Hail Mary. Anyway, impressive by the Cardinals. I mean, we're talking about a couple weeks ago pulling off the Seahawks game you know, in, in overtime. This this game against the Bills, they've played some they had a crazy game against the Dolphins the previous, uh, last week. The Cardinals are must-see TV every single week. They, they've also played three legitimate playoff teams the last three weeks as well. Yeah, games. and this was a game they should have won like well before the, the Hail Mary. Like it was one of those ones where it took a miracle play to kind of get the right result, you know? Yeah, Like Josh, uh, Josh Allen alone made enough mistakes that the Cardinals should have been out of sight and had this game fairly comfortably won. Because Josh Allen is Josh Allen, he ends up coming back and almost pulling the whole thing out of the fire again at the death. And then Arizona had to answer with a miracle of their own. But like this, this game should have been Arizona's pretty comfortably. And the only thing really that prevented that from happening is Cole Beasley for a stretch turned into Superman. Like absurd one-handed catch on the sideline, puts Patrick Peterson in an absolute blender for his touchdown over the middle. And... I mean, you can do this with most great cornerbacks ever, but Patrick Peterson has a special level of low-light reel against players like Cole Beasley, like small, shifty, quick slot receivers. Emmanuel Sanders put him on the ground last year, I believe it was. Right. I mean, there's... Um, Doug Baldwin has, like, one of the best ever where he just destroys the guy. I think Tyler Lockett has him with one as well. Like, his... You could put together, like, a six or so play low-light reel where Patrick Peterson looks like you trying to cover NFL whoa, receivers. Whoa, whoa. Um, and to to his credit, or in his defense, rather, is probably a more accurate description. I don't know what the hell he's doing in the slot trying to cover Cole Beasley in the first place. Oh, right, absolutely. But that t- style of receiver has just traditionally wrecked him. And it's it's unfortunate because, you know, he's he's a better player than that, but it's, those particular plays look ugly. I mean, that's something to keep an eye on going forward, too, because Tyler Lockett had that monster game against them, and Beasley was unstoppable for a period yesterday, as you said. They have Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick, who also had his own interception that Allen gifted him. Um, but both of those guys, bigger, longer corners that just don't handle that type of receiver. Byron Murphy's the guy that's left trying to cover them, but they've struggled against those types of receivers, so something to keep an eye on going forward. So, um, you know, the Dolphins gain a game in the AFC East. We'll talk about them in in a minute, but the game of the week, absolutely. The Cardinals pulling it off against the Bills. I think you're right, though. They should should have a little bit earlier, but it took the miracle and the, uh, the full array of Josh Allen in that game. 
let's go. Let's stay in the NFC West. Seattle Seahawks and Los Angeles Rams. Because we talk MVP race. Boy, have things shifted here. The Seahawks had not run into the Rams yet. The Rams' new look defense, where they're running, you know, every variation of quarters and cover six. We talked about this on the podcast, where there's going to be two high safeties, and they're going to discourage some of the big passes. There's big stories about Jalen Ramsey versus DK Metcalf and not getting the ball to Metcalf in one-on-one situations, which was kind of right. I don't, I don't think like Ramsey deserves credit. But the Rams in general do a really good job of making you earn it. And other than pretty much a blown seam route, like a couple little blown coverages for marginal gains, the Rams just do a really good job of thwarting the big plays that Seattle has made a living off this year. Yeah, they do. Um, The most unfortunate thing to come out of this game is looks like Andrew Whitworth went down and is done. Um, they were saying the initial exams were not, it's not an ACL, but it did appear to be a PCL and an MCL, which to me, I mean, Jay Dr. Gla- Sam, what you got here? Well, I think Jay Glazer was making that out as like a really optimistic, you know, positive thing. Are Jay's parents doctors? No, I don't think okay. so. Uh, I, to me, that's still curtains for the season. And, you know, it's as significant as tearing your ACL. So I'm not sure what the optimism or positivity in that is. Um, and poor old Whitworth. Like he's the best played or graded player on either offense in this game by the point he went down, was having another like all pro caliber season at left tackle despite being eighty two years old and just trucking along. It's just and it was such a freak injury as well. Just had like a linebacker's swinging legs like fly into him as he's busy minding his own business, blocking his guy out of the play. Just sucks that those injuries happen. Yeah, really, really hate to see it. Um yeah, Rams Rams overall did a nice job in pass protection, even after he went down playing Seattle. We'll do that sometimes. It's The Seahawks are, I think they're in a bit of an identity crisis on defense. They're still trying to figure out how, Jamal, how to justify Jamal Adams defensively. And it just felt like play after play, they're sending five. It looked like every version of you know, our, our least favorite coverage, fire zone. We're going to send five. Fire zone is essentially, there's five guys rushing. And then there's some combination of, there's going to be three defenders underneath and then three playing three deep. And I think overall, the NFL does a really good job of exploiting this coverage and finding the holes there. And that's what it felt like uh, down after down. For the Seahawks, they're sending five and the Rams are finding the holes. The screen game was really good for the Rams because... Seattle just wasn't matching up against it. There's a lot to unpack here, but starting on the defensive side, the Seahawks continue to make life easy for opposing passing attacks. Yeah. Um, and they're banged up as well, so it's not... They are. They're not as bad, I think, as they're currently looking, which is awful. Um, but yeah, they they don't have the talent that they should have. The talent that they have got, I'm not sure they're exploiting in, or they're deploying in the best possible way they don't have pass rush they so you know there's this tension now between pass rush versus coverage in the nfl generally and which do you plow all the we resources? created this it's our it's pff driven uh, okay tension which yeah. do you plow all the resource into from a team building standpoint but there's also like where do you focus if you're weak and the seahawks seem to be relentlessly trying to 
manufacture pass rush, right? It's like we are we're weak at both, but we're going to try and generate pass rush. So they're you know adding on all these blitzers, whether it's Jamal Adams, whether it's the linebackers. You know, we talked about Bobby Wagner doing it, but KJ Wright was on the blitz a lot in this game. And it's leaving them more exposed on the back end. Like, you're already bad really in coverage. Is. And yep. now you're taking guys out of coverage to try and throw them at the pass rush, in theory, to generate pressure to get the ball out quicker to help your coverage. But in order to do that, you're, you know, you're robbing from the coverage to try and help the coverage, and it's not. It's making it worse. So you're, like, exaggerating the problem by trying to fix it. Whereas really they'd be better off if they just flooded the zones, played nine at the back and didn't rush anybody because you're not getting pressure anyway. If you look at Jamal Adams' grades, it's not all on Jamal Adams, but I think it's a part of when you trade for him and you have nobody up front to tr that you trust to get after the quarterback, all right, how are we going to justify Jamal Adams? How are we going to fit him in to our system? And we've talked many times that they're blitzing him over 10 times a game and all that. And yesterday he had the flash plays. He had a strip sack. He had another sack in pursuit. So the pass rush totals are fantastic. They're not all just one-on-one -on -one situations, but he gets after the quarterback. He reminds me a little bit, though, of Troy Polamalu in you know that Polamalu is going to make plays all over. The, he was going to be all over the field, right? He was going to try to play too deep from the line of scrimmage. He was going to do all this crazy stuff. But good teams could actually exploit that aggressiveness. They could exploit the fact that you have a strong safety trying to be the best player on the field. I feel like that's a little bit of what's happening with the Seahawks. Jamal Adams feels the need to be a part of every play, and that lack of discipline sometimes gets exploited by good offenses. And, you know, you can't, you can't maximize Jamal Adams' impact by 10 to 15 pass rushes per game. At some point, he's got to play disciplined zone. He's got to play um, deep zone. He's got to do a little bit of everything, and uh, it's just – Everything but his pass rush grade is looking good right now, which is uh, which is difficult for Seattle's defense. How smug do you think Greg Williams is after the last few weeks of Jamal Adams? You know, the the, the shots fired in the offseason. It's like, oh, Jamal's going to get bored playing cover three all day in Seattle. And then, like, the the debut, week one, he was just all over the field, looked amazing, was yeah. doing everything. And it was like, oh, I'm not going to get bored being this awesome. And now the last few weeks, it's just been, well, you're getting a bunch of sacks and stuff, but you actually are not playing that well because your defense sucks. Greg's probably just sitting back in New York being like, told you, grass isn't always greener away from Greg. There's some truth to it. I, look, I, I, feel for the, I feel for the Seattle coaching staff, to be honest, trying to, because they, they don't have the front four. The secondary has largely disappointed, plus been hurt. They, on paper, it's like, well, you've got Quentin Dunbar and you've got you know, Shaquille Griffin. You've got these guys that are at least reasonable to good and you know jamal adams and all that and that's you know they're, try they're trying to stitch that together uh for the rams their defense though man they are doing a really good job as i said of avoiding the big plays jalen ramsey has a, a pretty nice game when he had to lock up with dk metcalf does have a pass interference on your boy penny hart down the field penny. so that was a free 30 yards or so but russell wilson for seattle turnover worthy plays galore the last two weeks the first one, interception in the end zone, man. Throws it back across his body. It's one of those, like, when you're hot, you just, you. it's like, that's him shooting, like, a fadeaway three from, like, 10 yards beyond the arc. Just trying to do stuff that doesn't need to be done. And, he, and it, you know, it came back to bite him. It's also, um, it's like the second one in a couple of weeks where I don't think the decision is necessarily terrible, but the execution was bad. 
Like, it's the second one where he's just floated the ball in there, and when you put that much air under it, you're giving defenders a chance to make a play on it. Like, he had that one in the end zone a couple of weeks ago where, again, he just tried to drop it in to a running back. Buda Baker, yeah. Right, and it's like yep. when you put that much air under the ball, somebody's got a shot to get it, to get to it. Like, the, I think there was a throw to be made, is what I'm saying, but not that way. There was, because Darius Williams, who picked it off, and this is where the Rams are really good. I, you know, I watch them pretty closely uh, going through the film here. They do a really good job of understanding route concepts and understanding if – because when you play zone, right, you're going to discourage one route, but then they also know where the next one's coming from. They also know where the other guy is, so to speak. So you see a lot of plays on film from the Rams – where their underneath defenders do a really good job of taking away, say, a 10-yard route, but then breaking on the ball on the flat underneath them, right? So Darius Williams has two verticals there. They doubled the, the bigger threat, which was the seam, and especially as soon as Russ rolls to the right, you, if he's going to throw the ball way back across his body, you have enough time to get there, right? So Darius Williams, who is becoming an absolute playmaker yeah. for this Rams defense, breaks on the ball and picks it off. And he had another play later. He tips it away from Lockett. He just played it perfectly. He let Lockett behind him knowing he had safety help, but he played it perfectly, tips it away. Williams is making a ton of plays. This season, in single coverage, Darius Williams has allowed a third of the passes thrown his way to be caught. That's crazy. For a passer rating of 36.9. Incredible. Yeah, so he had this interception. He had the other one where he broke on the ball. Russ tried to throw a deep out or short out to uh, Greg Olson. Williams breaks on it one of the one of the plays that kind of sealed the game for the Rams defense so Jalen Ramsey's going to get all the publicity today because he did match up with DK Metcalf probably about 10 12 15 times where they had some one-on-one matchups a lot of go routes Ramsey playing a little off coverage and just staying on top of the route which sounds simple looks simple honestly when he does it but when you realize that you know DK gets behind the defense a couple times per game <laughs> Um, pretty impressive. DK had one opportunity on a deep ball. They just couldn't connect, hit off his fingertips. He broke away late from Ramsey with a little arm bar, but um, the big play threat just wasn't there. And uh, Wilson just made too many mistakes in this one. Yeah. James Bradbury is the only cornerback with a higher grade this season in single coverage than Darius Williams does. It's ahead of Xavier Howard, ahead of Jair Alexander, ahead of a lot of the people you would expect to be up there, but he's second in the NFL. Like his... He's benefiting. I mean, we talked before about how Troy Hill's a really useful corner if you don't have, if he doesn't have to match up with a DK Metcalf, and that's what Jalen Ramsey does, and that's what he allows you to do. Troy gets bumped inside a nickel this season because Darius Williams gets given that job. Turns out Williams is like even better than Troy Hill was at doing that at that uh, role. You know, two guys that the college grading PFF college grading really liked, and again, I think that's where that seems to manifest itself best. It's really good at finding those guys that are good in coverage might have physical limitations that mean you don't want them matching up with a DK Metcalf or Julio Jones. But if you have the ability to prevent them having to do that, you can find really, really good players with that stuff. Yeah, the Rams have done a nice job with that. And again, schematically, they're just doing a really nice job. Um, They're going to play the Bucs next week on Monday Night Football. I think it's going to be a great matchup. I know the Bucs had last week against the Saints where they were a disaster but they they have an explosive offense and them going up against the Rams is going to be another awesome matchup must see TV Russell Wilson again one of the worst games we've seen from him over the last couple years Um, the other part about the Rams too from a 
coverage shell standpoint, you still have Aaron Donald creating quick pressure. Leonard Floyd got in there pretty quickly a few times. It's the combination of both, which is discouraging deep passes down the field. And then even if they are there, by the way, Aaron Donald's in your lap more often than not. It's going to be interesting. To, so at some point, who was it? Somebody was saying that the, the NFC West is like widely regarded as being the toughest division of football this year, right? The NFC West at the moment, it looks really a big part of a product of playing the NFC East. Um, and like the actual good wins on the resumes of these teams are actually pretty few and far between. The When the Cardinals, they have to play the Rams twice still. That's going to be kind of interesting because the Cardinals may have the most legitimate non the legitimate outside the division wins, right? They've actually beaten good teams and narrowly lost to one as well. When they, like we saw them beat the Seahawks, like if they beat the Rams as well, or at least split the series with the Rams, like the Cardinals might be the best team in this division by virtue of actually being able to beat good teams, not just the war, the bad teams in the NFL. Yeah, I still think it's a really good, div- I mean, NFC East aside, the fact that the you know well, the Rams like have to play quite Seattle, a significant part of it. No, it is, but I mean, like this is the first. This is the Rams' first legit win this year. No, I get They're it. Four and zero against the NFC East, which still leads that division, by the way, after Week Ten. Um, they have like who else are they beaten? Like a couple of other eh, teams. This is their first legit like non crappy team win. Yeah, but I again, I think they're everybody's got something to fear. I think in that division. You've got Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. You have Kyle Shanahan when he's got healthy players with the 49ers. You have the Rams defense and the Kyler's, uh, the Kyler's, the Cardinals offense with Kyler. Kyler. I mean, they all have, they all have something that in a given week, like Kyler and that offense against the Rams defense is going to be fantastic, right? I mean, that there's a lot of good football, I think, still to be played in the NFC West. Let's get through the rest of the slate here. We'll go a little quicker through some of these games, Sam, but the Jacksonville Jaguars played their hearts out in Green Bay against the Packers. Yeah. There's a point where it just feels like, all right, you've you've made it this far, Jags, good work. It's going to be tough. Like when Jake Luton, he had two comeback opportunities and neither one felt like they had a chance. Yeah, it, it was closer than I expected it to be, but ultimately went the way I said it was going to, which is there's a lot of things working in Jacksonville's favor in this game. The Packers are missing a lot of guys in the secondary. They got run the hell o- <clears throat> run the hell over a couple of weeks ago by Minnesota. It's it was the weather wasn't great. You was have a, a punt return for a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. a bunch of things working in Jacksonville's favor, but ultimately they're not as good as the Packers, and there's a huge gulf between them in terms of class. So Green Bay should get the win, even if Jacksonville covers. Now that's ultimately the way it went, but it was a hell of a lot closer than it should have been, or that I I expected it to be. And it took like a couple of moments of magic from Rodgers, from Devontae Adams, from Valdez Scantling, um, and the fact that, you know, Jacksonville's quarterback is Jake Luton to mean that it wasn't able to get it done, get it over the line. No, it wasn't. I mean, they like, like I said, they, they hung tough. Um, Aaron Rodgers, there was, there was a point where you, just, you keep waiting for the Packers to pull away. In late third quarter, Aaron Rodgers throws an interception, uncharacteristic interception, throws it right. Uh, to the defense. I mean, the, the Packers did what they could to kind of keep it keep it close as well. Neither team really passed the ball well or efficiently compared to what they should have. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you're just a little limited with Jake Luton at the helm. With the with the Packers, where you know where do we stand 
on the Packers here? Are they just in that they're just in that second tier in the NFC? I mean, somebody said this was like the best week possible for Patrick Mahomes MVP candidacy and he didn't play this week. Like everybody else that's in the reckoning, except apparently now Kyler Murray, like just didn't have a good game. Like Aaron Rodgers had two multiple turnover worthy plays in this game. Yep. That's usually the thing that Rodgers doesn't do. Right. right. Now I know he did it against the Bucks, but generally speaking, Rodgers is maybe the most careful quarterback in the NFL in terms of putting the ball in harm's way. Did it multiple times against the Jags defense. Russell Wilson, we just talked about, his MVP candidacy has gone completely off the rails over the last few weeks. Um, Like the Josh Allen hype train ran aground. Like everything is just – all these quarterbacks that were in this conversation have just completely fallen off, except Mahomes, who hasn't had a chance to play yet. Let's get Devontae Adams in the conversation. His fourth game with at least 10 catches. I mean, Nine touchdowns despite only playing in seven games. You know, he has been... It's funny because Rodgers did play well when Adams was out. He still played well. But man, at, when they are on the field together, even even when Rodgers doesn't have his best game, it's like, all right, I still have Devontae. And uh, he has been absolutely fantastic. And then Marquez Valdez-Scantling. This is... We talk about drops a lot, uh, you know, as far as you know grading goes, and it, it pulls a guy's grade down. This is the reason why you don't overrate drops. Valdez Scantling has had serious issues catching the ball this year. But I always say, Sam, to you, hmm. the hard part is being good at getting open down the field and creating big plays. And this is why you don't like bench a guy because he can't catch the ball. Greg Little is still has something in him because yeah. at some point he's going to stop dropping the ball. No, seriously, though, Val- Valdez Scantling, he had the 78-yarder or whatever it was. Yeah, it took all season, but... He is a he is a nice big play threat complementary to what Devontae Adams brings to the table. So it's good to have him out there and not just bench a dude because he can't catch the ball. Yeah, it took all season, but here we are. Um, He's always been that big play threat, though. He is. You got to ignore the drop sometimes. It's just an incompletion. I I think that's a lot easier to stomach when you have that secondary threat like an Alan Lazard. Someone. So when you got obviously Devontae Adams is great. The second guy that Rodgers trusts, I think, is still an issue. If Lazard is out there, now you've got two guys you're pretty confident in that can move the chains and generally be productive. Now you have a lot more like wiggle room to be able to take the chance that Valdez Scantling is actually going to A, be where he's supposed to, and B, catch the ball when it hits him in the hands. And you can ride the, the roller coaster to get the big 100-plus yard day for the big plays he can make. Um, I still think there's a huge thing missing when they don't have Lazard out there. But yeah, like Valdez Scantling is a big play threat and always has been. And particularly against the Jags, like they their coverage unit in the back end is just not great. It was always ripe for, you know, a big play here or there. All right, let's go on to the Washington football team and the Detroit Lions. This was another does your uh, analysis apply here? You know, the it took it, it got to the right outcome, which was the Lions winning, but it took, you know, some craziness, a roughing the passer penalty. The Lions driving the field, quote-unquote driving the field, with uh, 16 seconds left to get their game-winning field goal. Uh, yeah, like probably. Yards. I mean, this game felt – this game was one. <laughs> it was like 24-3 or something pretty late in the game. Yeah. And then Washington end up tying it up twice, uh, only to see, yeah, Chase, Chase Young with the bad penalty that gave them a shot. What, yeah. was, the, what was the winner from, 59? 59, I believe it was, yeah. yeah. Big kick to win the game. I keep to leave on uh, commentary. He was. He was okay. I thought he did well, yeah. Ah, he was from like, what I heard, yeah, I caught the He was entertaining, that. Yeah. at least. 
Um, it was a different vibe. It was a lot of like, it was almost podcasty. Yeah. Like I'm just going to hang out and talk about football and mm -hmm. what I see. And it was, um, it was cool. It was a good, it was different, uh, different viewpoint there, which was great. It's amazing how like locked into the thing, like the standard that some people are though. They're like, this is completely different to like generic color commentator number one that I'm used to hearing. Therefore it's bad. I'm like, yeah, well, you saw people saying bad. Oh yeah. I mean, I, but I, the same I way, try like, to avoid social media, especially right. like, if there's one thing people. that's that sure it's like, there's a section of people that will hate any announcer slash commentator well, in the Chris, world. Chris is the best at what he does. And he gets, that's what I mean, right? Hate. Like when you look at his mentions, like nobody is coming out of this well you know what i mean like there's a chunk of people that hate everybody out there like there are, i'm sure in fact i remember it there's a bunch of people that hated john madden by the end of it like you know madden with his ridiculous noises and his boom and like ugh. yeah anyway my point is there are some people that hate it on akeep Lee because it's just different to what you're used to hearing but frankly i look we we have every other game on a week i can hear the generic guy in 10 other games i'm i'm all for hearing something slightly different for the football team alex smith drops back 63 times 390 yards he was a guy that didn't have a leg a year what ago. was he officially 63 dropbacks but 38 for 55 for 390 a few big time throws in there he didn't turn it over this week what a fascinating stat line because he had no touchdowns no interceptions only a couple drops yeah, i mean at least the the football team when they had to play from behind they don't feel like a team that has uh, explosive playmakers, but you know you've got JD McKissick getting 15 targets, which is hilarious too. It's such a uh, why is he? They have Antonio Gibson, who was a receiver in college, like is designed for that. I don't know. They got Gibson running the ball a little bit more. I don't know why they're not using Gibson more. But like earlier in the season, there were plays where they split Gibson out wide, yeah. specifically to use that skill set. Why have they gone? Why have they decided that? Okay, you can do that. You have an unusually well-suited history to do that and yet we're gonna we're gonna load up jd mckissick instead i'll tell you what i know the i know the football team has to get a quarterback so you're gonna be sitting there in the first round next year likely unless they win the division yes um <clears throat> likely likely in the top 10 and you're gonna want one of those quarterbacks but it would be very tempting to get say like a jamar chase and figure out maybe they go to free agency for the quarterback but you get a jamar chase i mean this feels like it's Terry McLaurin, big play all around. There's wide receiver one. But if you got a Jamar Chase, who's also a wide receiver one, now you've got two legitimate complementary pieces. Then the actual complementary pieces of Cam Sims and Steven Sims and Antonio Gibson, the guys that are catching J.D. McKissick, the guys who are catching passes, as long as they're options three, four, five, six, right, and you have a legitimate other receiver besides McLaurin, that would be tempting for the football team next year even though they need a QB I don't remember what the exact number is but I think at the point where Alex Smith went down with the broken leg that almost ended his career lost his leg blah blah, blah they've won as many games since that point I did hear that nugget they were they six and two when he went down that's it six they were wins. six and two and they have six wins since that since point. that point and yeah. he's been out for 770 days or whatever it is yeah. as a starter it's kind of amazing like Alex Smith is I mean, he's not what he was because of the leg thing, but he's still functional. He is. I mean, look, I, he was the guy. We're not. It's it's in our contract. We're not allowed to even cite QB wins. I mean, we're not allowed to hmm. say that QBs win. You're not allowed to say that in the analytics community. But I do think Alex Smith's uber conservative style, 
Like, yes, you need to be paired with teams that can win that way, but he won more often than not. There was a certain point in his career where he went from he wasn't good to, okay, yeah. he became a reasonable starter with the Niners. Andy Reid fixed him. Well, even before that. Yeah. When he was with I mean, the he Niners. Was, he became good in, like, 2011 or so. He was at the start of that, like, Greg Roman offense that started to figure out how to, like, use yeah. quarterbacks with some athleticism. And he – before – before they put Kaepernick in over him in 2012, yeah. he was playing well. Right. I still liked the move. There was a like higher Reed. upside to Kaepernick yeah. and all that. And Andy Reid, like, fixed, fixed him. Yeah, and Reid did a really good job of playing. You know, he played conservative, take care of the football, and, and they won a lot of games. And then he was doing the same thing with Washington. I don't think he was playing that great, but they were winning games. I don't know. There was always something to Alex Smith's style that lent itself to winning football. Well, he was the ultimate game manager. Like, he was the... He was the archetype, a guy yeah. that doesn't turn over the ball, still has one of the lowest like interception rates in NFL history, um, and was just functional enough, despite never being aggressive, to like, if you have a team around him, you can win games. Uh, big game for DeAndre Swift for the Lions, uh, receiving touchdown, moved the chains through the air, ran the ball pretty well. Matthew Stafford played a, a much cleaner game, and then Right. Matthew Stafford is real quick. He's known for these ridiculous fourth quarter comebacks. Um, he's done a really nice job of those throughout his career. He had the Falcons game earlier this year where he did legitimately throw the Lions to victory. This is not the one that you're going to look at and say, great job, Matthew Stafford. Yeah, he had a couple quick completions, but it was really the roughing the passer that put them in position for the game-winning field goal. Though even on the roughing the passer, it felt like that was a ball that could have been tracked and caught by the receiver. Like that actually, I think that shot had that pass had a chance and probably should have been got like the receiver seemed to lose it in the air and just never tracked it properly um but yeah i agree the important thing is though he had that game without kenny galladay in the lineup who at right. the moment like this year kenny galladay has been the determiner between whether you're getting good matthew stafford or bad matthew stafford um galladay wasn't playing and yet we had marvin jones show up like stafford was good in this game yeah and that you know when I made my prediction a few weeks ago that the, my predictions have been hit or miss yeah but that the lions would get back into the playoff picture it was dependent on galladay being around and you see when all of those pieces are there they can move the ball pretty efficiently let's go to the tampa bay bucks and the carolina panthers uh 46 points for the bucks offensively i'll be honest it could have been 60 um after such a disastrous game against the saints i thought the bucks all, all of their stars offensively had over 50 receiving yards antonio brown mike evans chris godwin gronk all had over 50 yards. It took them a week, but and it took the Panthers' defense. Yeah. But is this what they're envisioning when they have Brady throwing all these weapons? Yeah, I don't think Brady played that well, but they they were able to win. This was like his miss. His misses left huge plays on the board because he had yes. Antonio Brown deep. He had Mike Evans deep. And he had Gronk open deep. There, if he just hits one of those, it's another 40 or 50 yard touchdown added to the mix here. He missed all of them. Right. Um, I, I think so. What was interesting in this game is they, like, again, we talked about how the, the, the Bucks were outcoached on both sides of the ball, right? So there was a kind of blueprint to beat them. And what I'd sort of forgotten is how close the, the ties were between Carolina's offense and the Saints' offense, right? right? Joe Brady, who was with the Saints before his LSU trip, blah, blah, blah. They, he brought this system. And, of course, Teddy Bridgewater coming from that New Orleans system. So that side of the ball is actually pretty well equipped to do the same thing as the Saints did. The problem was the other side, which isn't nearly as good, or at least nearly as good as the Saints that we saw in that game. And 
the Bucks reshuffled on the offensive line. Like Joe Haig is bad enough. They're like, we're not even going to try that second week in a row. So we're going we're gonna to start A.Q. Shipley at, cent- at center. We're going to move Ryan Jensen to guard, and we're going to see how that rolls. That wasn't an awful lot better. Like, they had problems still, which is an issue because Brady is not good under pressure right now. And maybe not, maybe not for the foreseeable, given the ties between him and this offensive system. They made some changes. They seem to have more quick passes involved, more intermediate things, places for Brady to go with the ball. But they're still bad when they, when they get pressure because he doesn't like, – A, he's reached the age now where pressure is just a bad thing. And B, like they don't have the, the outlets for him. So it was a, like there were moments where either Brady was off, where the pressure was off. Like this game – threatened for periods to go the same way as the Saints game or not the same way but for Carolina to be able to win this game because of the things that manifested themselves during the New Orleans game but ultimately like the gulf between the two teams talent wise was just too big yeah it was I mean it, I, I felt it kind of the other way where the it was kind of like the Jaguars hanging with the Packers it was like the Panthers are hanging with the Bucks, who yeah. inevitably are going to pull away. And they did in a big way. I mean, a big part of it, too, is Ronald Jones runs for 98 yards, right? He cuts back, runs past the defense for 98 yards uh, on the two-yard line. That was essentially the biggest turning point in the game. I think it was only a three-point game at the time. <laughs> did you see Jeremy Chin in that play? I don't remember specifically. So Jeremy Chin's the guy chasing him, right? He's the guy closest to him to make. No, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. With the diving yeah. tackle or diving tackle attempt, doesn't get there. He made up like five yards in the first forty, and then like hit a wall and just stopped gaining on him, and ended up like losing it again. Makes the diving tackle attempt. Like it felt like <laughs> I don't know, like in a video game, if you have like a sprint stamina bar, his lasts for like a two second burst, and then he's out. Or you know, if you ever redline a car, it hits the, the rev limiter when you hit the red line, max it, and it uh, you, constant acceleration until you hit that red line and then you like stall and, and back off. That was like, it was bizarre. Like he, and people were like, well, he just hurdled a guy and he had to run from the goal line. It's like, well, Ronald Jones started behind the goal line as well. Like that doesn't explain it. You read a lot about what people say throughout the games, huh? I mean, I, you know, sometimes. I'm just, I, it, it, was, it was so bizarre to see a guy like hit that much of a sprint wall so soon into the play yeah between that game that play and then teddy bridgewater throws a ill-advised pass right to jpp who this week catches it made the catch did the interception last week he dropped the drew Brees interception opportunity so things changed a little bit for the bucks honestly though i think the story though is what the bucks were able to do offensively um, Mike Evans had the most targets. He got his hand on a couple other passes that he could have caught, including other passes in the end zone. His touchdown was crazy. That was a really good. That was a really good. I don't guy. understand how that guy didn't, how the DB didn't get it out of there. Yeah. Like he had he a hand clean through. Not only did he not get it out, he didn't even force him to separate his hands. Like most of the time, when you see a guy catch the ball with both hands and the defender, really strong hands by Evans right, to and do the that. defender gets an arm between those two hands right most of the time he's going to force the guy to separate his hands and carry the ball with one hand at which point you know once you've done that you at least have a shot of jarring it out of there right right for some reason he couldn't even get Evans to separate his hands like he hit the ground went down guys wrenching away with it never never took two hands off the ball all the whole way down yeah, it was an impressive touchdown. I mean, they've again there there was 
Three other big plays that could have happened there. Other opportunities in the red zone. Gronk actually, you know, poor Jeremy Chin. Gronk gronked Jeremy Chin down the field. He did, yeah. Um, so, look, Jeremy Chin, the rookie do-it-all safety linebacker slot corner, he's doing a lot of things. He's showing a lot of potential. Bad day at the office. But, you know, there are some negative results on a lot of his plays as well. So Teddy this season has been terrible under pressure. Yeah. Um, under pressure this season, zero touchdowns, six interceptions, uh, PFF grade of 46. Like, what about <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we talked about Joe Brady being the top play caller coming in. It's a lot, and that's why there's a disconnect, I think, between Teddy's grade and the stats that had been pretty good for the majority of the season. They're doing a good job of scheming it up. He had another screen for a touchdown yesterday. I mean, they, they're scheming it up pretty well for Carolina, but they just they didn't have enough against Tampa Bay in this one. Let's go to the NFC East. Okay, should we should we move the hashtag? How hard can Yeah, we? that's what I was thinking. Is it time? I think so. Because the Colts, I mean, yeah, the Colts and the Titans. Look, the AFC South's not great. But it, but you it might actually have, be quite hard. You have a couple teams carrying. Yeah carrying the way for you here the nfc east is is a joke at the moment can we make that official somebody how hard can it be is now moved to the nfc east so i got lost down a rabbit hole of like comedy nfc east permutations you have 30 night. seconds <laughs> so first the rams are still leading this division after week 10 and the rams play in the nfc west that in and of itself is amazing second I was then wondering like all right the eagles stumble i, I we've been assuming the eagles are going to win this right because they were in pole position and they're the team that are going to get healthy they're going to get some players back so at some point they're going to like they're going to they're going to put some distance right they lose to the giants they're still stuck there at what is it three five and one um somebody is going to win this division with five wins this is just fascinating so you know they have the the like playoff prediction machine things where you can like input games and spit out the results so i found one of those i was like all right what let's just run through the nfc east games remaining everybody can win this division still dallas can win this division doing nothing but beating nfc east teams they're like the worst team in the nfl they can still win the division so i putting through what i think will happen just from the nfc east results i think philadelphia might win this division at five ten and one if they don't i think the giants will win the division at five and eleven and that's like that's giving them wins over like cincinnati and stuff like i mean they might not win those games but somebody could genuinely win this division with five wins they're going to host a playoff game if they win that playoff game the world will like melt down in a big fiery like explosion the standings are just they have three teams that have seven losses here in week 10 (laughs) <laughs> the NFC West has three teams that are six and three. But again, you mentioned the yeah, NFC West they played. has played the NFC East all the time. And uh, the Eagles, yes, yeah, still sit in first place at three, five, and one, despite the loss here to the Giants. I want to give credit to Daniel Jones. Well, Daniel Jones turns Running into... Running like crazy, making some throws. Turns into Walter Payton, apparently, when he plays the Eagles. But let's also congratulate Daniel Jones for beating a non-Washington football team. Yeah, second win of his career. Yeah. Two and 17. That was now. his first win since his first start. Yes, against a team that isn't Washington. Correct. That's that's quite impressive. Um, they ran like QB power plays, like Cam Newton plays for Daniel Jones against Philadelphia's defensive front. More than one. Like the first one, they got a touchdown off it. 
They ran it again later and got a touchdown off it as well, and it got negated for a holding call. But, like, okay, Daniel Jones is, like, he's the classic sneaky athletic quarterback who's actually athletic athletic, but, you know. but He's not sneaky athletic. He's real athletic, yeah. Right, but he's not Cam Newton athletic. Like, you don't design QB power plays for Daniel Jones, except apparently the Giants do. Yeah. This was, this was the game where Daniel Jones, the big-time throws were there. He's always been capable. He's willing to pull the trigger on those passes. He was zipping it in there in between linebackers and safeties. Deep passes were up and away from coverage. He did a really nice job in this game. Jones has played far better than the stats would indicate. And even this yes. stat line, no touchdowns, right? It's it's, it's not going to show up very well in the from a passer rating standpoint as far as like the rest of the way the rest of the league. I mean, it was good. I mean, but it, it's not like he put up a 140 passer rating or anything like that. But it was a really good game. Plus, what he was able to do on the ground, as you mentioned, this was this was impressive for by by Jones. Yeah, um, you could make the case with Dak Prescott injured that Jones is like fairly comfortably the best quarterback in this division at the moment. Um, Over Alex Smith, yep. Whoever the Cowboys are trotting out there, yep. or Carson Wentz, yep. I mean, Jones has definitely outplayed Carson Wentz this year. Yeah, that's I mean, that's Wentz, for sure. Wentz, Wentz looks... didn't turn it over, which was nice, or no turnover-worthy plays. <laughs> so that was a that was a step in the right direction. You know the way people talk about special teams coordinators as being like the best place to source um, head coaches from, right? Because they have to deal with everybody in the team, not just offense, defense. Their head is they're more well suited to sort of the overarching viewpoint that a head coach needs to have, as opposed to coordinators that are dialed in on one side of the ball. Joe Judge's legacy at the moment appears to be largely like screwing around on fourth down between like running the punt team on late and running the offense back <laughs> on and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a weird like thing to bolt yourself to as a here's the edge I'm going to bring to this. Honestly, though, like those are things I would do all the time. I would do all the fourth and one, try to drop teams offside. I mean, the, Seattle actually did it right there. But he's day. not even like he's just like running a team on late. It's like, what, what are you, what you is learn that, that from, doing? Learn that from Belichick. Look at those Giants keeping hope alive. Let's go to the Houston Texans and the Cleveland Browns. It was hailing and lightning and windy, and it was 10 to 7. Yeah. Should have been 17 to 7. But Nick Chubb cost a lot of people money. Or, I like to think, Sam, he won a lot of people money. All right, don't okay. be mad at Nick Chubb. Just as many people who are mad at Nick Chubb are happy with Nick Chubb. Facing him in fantasy, betting against the Browns. I'm just saying, somewhere out there, there's, a guy, there's a guy that both had money and a fantasy team riding on Nick Chubb's touchdown. Instead, he steps out the one-yard line after busting through the whole defense. I, I just I would like to see that guy and see how he's dealing with that at the moment. Brown's um, rushing game, rushing attack, man. I don't really fun. understand how this... I know that the weather was bad, right? I still don't really get how this game was so low scoring. And the funny thing is, it wasn't, it wasn't the weather that was causing it. It was actually good defense from both sides, weirdly. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but like at one point there was a play where Miles Garrett runs down Deshaun Watson in the open field, which is one of the more absurd things you're going to see. Like Deshaun Watson's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL. Miles Garrett's like 275 pounds and ran him down. That was pretty absurd. But like, these yeah. are two of the worst defenses in the NFL and they both played well. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is the conservatism on both sides running the ball a ton you know playing the weather game on paper it should have been both not both secondary with the Texans secondary especially having a chance to get torched 
Um, and then the Brown secondary trying to hang tough against a really good Texans passing attack, but it became an old school 10 to seven battle, which was really 17 to seven. And, uh, the old one, two punch of, uh, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt looking pretty good. For the yeah. Browns. I mean, this was why, even if the bad weather was there, I didn't expect this to be a low scoring game because Houston shouldn't have been able to stop that running game. And for big periods, it didn't look like they were. And yet they still, the game it was one of those things where like, there's always a weird play here and there that just stops it being like a productive scoring drive, even when the ball was being moved. Most importantly, though, Wyatt Teller made his return. The return. He was, look, I, the grade's finalized yet for this game because I'm seeing a high one. I'm seeing the 96 for Wyatt Teller as at this very moment right here, little inside baseball. It's still in there. Yeah, he good. For now. He good. Wyatt Teller, Jack Conklin, the highest graded offensive players for the Browns. Wyatt Teller, Jack Conklin, Joel Batonio, Jedrick Wills. Those are all offensive linemen, guys. They are. That's all of their non-center centers. So let's give them the proper credit as Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are accumulating those stats. The Browns offensive line. Yeah. Dominating a Texans bad defensive front that's the that is the key there though from a run game perspective i mean the texans are bad at everything but from a run game perspective the texans have uh nobody to stop the run all the more reason there should have been more points in this game but weren't so look at cleveland you said you don't want to glean anything from the weather games but here's cleveland playing in them every week so every week they played the raiders a couple weeks ago in the same thing a couple of weeks ago. they scored six points two they've had so you gotta you gotta win in those games and sometimes you need the run game you need those big offensive lineman doing the work for you Texans play the Patriots next week and they're favored as of now at home let's go to the battle of the rookie quarterbacks Los Angeles Chargers and the Miami Dolphins two is better than Herbert it's all confirmed <laughs> based off of this game ah uh, yeah this was like you know Tua coming off a really good game a week ago Justin Herbert coming off an absurd run of great games that's like the battle between these two to look amazing and to finally prove one team right or other neither guy was really that good in this game like Herbert finally kind of came back down to earth and it's probably not coincidental that he did that against the Brian Flores defense that actually looks legit like Flores is doing an insanely good job right now one eh, I was gonna say he's been proved right with the Tua thing and he probably has been even if like Tua's game yesterday wasn't the most most resounding endorsement of that um, but the defense, more importantly, is like flying. Like it's looking like a Bill Belichick defense, which is the greatest compliment I think you can pay it. Yeah, I mean, after a couple, they, they gave up some deep passes last week against the Cardinals, which we talked about. But we're still talking about the 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 top cornerback duo of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. You know, the way they've built that team, having Howard, a playmaker who did make one again yesterday, had the interception of Justin Herbert, having Byron Jones on the other side, who was targeted. Uh, seven times both guys gave up about four catches uh, four catches for seven targets similar stat line but having both of those guys just as a great baseline from a team building standpoint adding Byron Jones to complement Xavier Howard was a great start and then they are scheming it up better they're not just playing press man they're mixing it up and they did a really nice job I thought from a Herbert standpoint this was this was a game that definitely highlighted a lot of his negatives coming out of Oregon. He was missing passes where his feet weren't set, got a little bit sloppy, and just he had a wide-open touchdown in the end zone that he that he overthrew. This, this was just a high percentage of misses right. from Herbert. And if you're looking at this and saying, you know, 
Tua's stats were great. He played a fantastic game. Pass rating of 107, two touchdowns, no interceptions, yada, yada, yada. He had the cleanest turnover-worthy play you are ever going to see that ended up not just not being caught by the defense, but ended up as a catch and a big first-down conversion on first and 15. Is that going to make my luckiest pass of yes, the week? Yes, absolutely. He threw the ball directly to a linebacker. Kenneth Murray, actually, it went through his hands, like straight through. There's a beautiful replay of it from directly behind to a – he just threw it to the linebacker, and the linebacker – doesn't close his hands in time, goes clean through, and ends up as a first down catch for Miami. He knew what he was doing, right? Like that is that is the cleanest version of those things. The, it is a it is a play that should have been picked off and instead wasn't at all. So his stats look a lot better than they should have been. The Dolphins' offensive line deserves a little bit of credit across the board. It's been playing better recently. Now, look, I think the Dolphins are doing a good job. We've mentioned before, Tua getting rid of the ball. They're rolling them out. Um, little RPO action. He is a lot of quick hitting stuff right off of play action, but he didn't get hit in this game, or at least didn't have a hit allowed by the a Dolphins offense. Moving player. the pocket stuff is huge for them right now. Yeah. Like if nothing else, so I think it's true that Tua is not going to get rid of the ball as quickly as Fitzpatrick overall, but they are moving the pocket with him more than at least they felt like they could with Fitzpatrick. Whether that's right or not, doesn't really matter. The point is they believe that they can move the pocket and move the quarterback more with Tua there, which it's just easier for an offensive line. Plus half field read stuff for Tua, that helps him get yeah, rid yeah. of the ball quicker. I mean, there's a lot there's But a lot like the biggest there. issue heading with that switch was like that offensive line is kind of still crappy and you're potentially exposing a quarterback to that. But if you're if you mitigate that by making everybody's life easier with those rolling him out stuff, it means that the biggest concern with that switch is not really valid anymore. The Dolphins are now six and three. Buffalo yeah. seven and three. They haven't had a bye yet. Dolphins have had a bye, obviously. So they're half game behind the Bills. The Bills point differential is plus seven. And they're seven and three. Which on the surface, the way you would analyze that and say, here's a team that probably should be, you know, four and four or five and five, sorry. Um, but they're seven and three. So there's some sort of luck. There's late game magic, even though the opposite just happened to them yesterday. The Dolphins have a point differential of 69. How about the Dolphins have an incredible point differential and they're six and three. Are the Dolphins really going to make a move here in the AFC East? The thing that would go against that is, you know, we, the Rams game to his debut. It's like, well, the special teams and the defense aren't going to keep making plays for him and scoring touchdowns. They have. <laughs> the next two games, the special teams or the defense or both have made like massive plays for Tua and the Dolphins. That is still something that's just not going to sustain itself. Now, apparently it did for more games than I was expecting it to, but like that's not going to last down the stretch. Like at some point, the defense is not going to make all those turnovers and special teams isn't going to keep making huge plays that swing the game. So you're going to need the offense to be good. You're going to need Tua to like be at the best of his ability. Um, and you're probably going to need Josh Allen to stay inconsistent. So just looking ahead here, the 6-3 and three Dolphins play the Broncos, the Jets, and the Bengals over the next three weeks. We could be looking at a 9-3 and three right. Dolphins team that then has to go and play for the last four games. The Chiefs at home, Patriots at home, at the Raiders, and then at the Bills last game of the season. We could be talking nine and three Dolphins going into the last quarter of the season against four, 
I guess, potential playoff teams. The Patriots are still in the mix. The Raiders are obviously in the mix. The Chiefs are awesome, and the Bills are battling them for the division. So it's going to be a nice little second half of the season for for the Dolphins. Exciting. And at the very least, with that run coming up, they should put the Bills under pressure heading into those last few games. Like Even if they can't get it done, they should be, if not having overtaken them, then like breathing down their neck running into those tough games. All right, three more games on the slate. Let's go 49ers at the New Orleans Saints. The big story here, Drew Brees comes out after the first half, took an absolute huge hit from Contavious Street. Uh, they called it roughing the passer. I thought that was a little sketchy. That was ridiculous. That was one, That was completely one of those based off the result. Like if somebody did that to Cam Newton, Cam probably doesn't get that hurt. Yeah. Right, and he bounces back up, and it's like nice sack. They called it with they called it the body weight one as well, right? Like, but he was half like he, he was to the side. He actually did turn. He literally didn't land with his body weight on him. Just, he just drove him into the ground. Look, I'm going to say quarterbacks. I do think quarterbacks control their injuries far more than we would than people think. They think it's just Cam big and Big Ben's big and Andrew Luck's big, therefore they're okay. But quarterbacks control the hits that they take. Drew Brees is generally awesome. And making sure he doesn't take big hits. This one, he stepped into it. He took. He just took a huge hit. I mean, it just it happens every now and again. But he's usually really good at avoiding these. If you're saying that that is a roughing the passer penalty, what you are saying is that there is a line beyond which you can't hit a quarterback harder than that, because yeah. that's what this penalty was. This was a you hit the quarterback too hard, so we're penalizing you. Like he didn't land on him with his body weight. Just factually, did not do that. So that is not that that is not a reason for calling that penalty didn't hit him in the helmet he just got him and drove him into the ground from the side and that injured him which is unfortunate but that's kind of it's just it's a risk of the game right so if you're penalizing the guy for that you are saying that you cannot hit the quarterback that hard that's what we're flagging you for pretty much the grades in this game for the quarterbacks are fascinating um they're all bad (laughs) <laughs> across the board it's I'm, I'm not sure I've seen that many quarterbacks take snaps and all of them not played that well well so Breeze was before he got hurt he was missing throws left and right yeah. I and mean, he was missing slants and he was he was off before um and then again you've got the a long Camara you know reception that kind of bails out the numbers and then he drops the snap and throws it to a wide open Camara for his touchdown so Breeze stats were fine but throwing the ball he was not great uh, Jameis, we'll see what happens with uh, if Tamus has to take over at quarterback. That's Taysom and Jameis, by the way. Okay. Um, Jameis has that long release. I mean, everything he does is just slower yeah. than Breeze, right? So when you talk about Teddy Bridgewater taking over the Saints offense, it's like, okay, stylistically, at least they're the same. They're not going to throw the ball down the field a ton. They're going to make quick decisions, get rid of the ball, quick release, short and intermediate pass game. Jameis is quite literally the opposite of all of that, right? I want to hang in there as long as possible, throw the ball down the field. Even the open stuff that's underneath, I'm not going to get it there as quickly for catch and run opportunities. Crazy small sample size, but do you know the difference in time to throw between the two players in this game? Oh, what was it? Seven-tenths of a second. Which sounds like nothing, right? But seven-tenths of a second is an epoch in terms of average time to throw for a quarterback. Drew Brees averaged basically two seconds, which is absurdly fast. And Jameis is at 2.7, which would take you to basically all the way to the other end of the scale. Like, 2.7 is 
effectively the slowest of the non-mobile quarterbacks in terms of time to throw. Yeah. That's it's a completely different world. Yeah, it's 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 a totally different thing. Uh, this game was interesting at the beginning because you have the Nick Mullins led San Francisco 49ers and you know, it goes back to the the tin cup game. When you, and when there's a when there's such a lopsided game, you need a million things to go right for the Niners. A lot of things were going right. The, the the Saints only ran three plays in the first quarter. So the Niners were playing this perfectly, right? Control the ball. Every time they need it, third and three, convert. Third and one, convert. Third and two, convert. They're just holding the ball left and right, scheming it up, doing a really nice job of controlling the football. But then they're muffing punts and just turning it over. They're just – that's that, that part is bad. Big kickoff returns by the Saints. So from a 49ers perspective – you go into this like, all right, we're the massive underdogs against the Saints, coming off a huge dominating outing against the Pat, the Bucks. The Niners needed everything to go right, and a lot of stuff did offensively, and then it just came crashing down, and then the Saints defense just kind of took over and said, okay, no more of this. They yeah, well. and the 49ers might have had a shot in this game if they hadn't kept screwing up punts. Um, yeah. Like, they essentially turned the ball over twice on special teams which when you're already like when you're dealing with Nick Mullins as your quarterback and you're already down to bare bones like it was going to be a challenge anyway against a team that's looking like a Super Bowl contender all of a sudden and like you can't you can't then give that team two more shots because you screw up special teams transitions like that's just I mean it's literally the difference in this game so it was like a 14 point loss right that's oh yeah it was absolutely the the difference not CJ Beathard he even came in for a pass but you're right all the grades are orange and red Taysom had the best passing grade going 0 for 1 with a 60 and yet there's no way that he starts actually 0 for 0 if they need him like if they need a if they need the backup quarterback to start the backup is Jameis the same way the backup was Teddy when like it happened last year it's Tameis but what you're you're gonna see is a lot more like on third and twos you're gonna see a lot more Taysom Hill on on first and ten you're gonna see Taysom Hill you know running QB power and counter and all that stuff what the hell is with this Taysom Hill thing I, I, I don't understand it last week it worked what what is it? What is he it? He played football and he made good plays against the Bucks. But why why do they keep talking about him as like this genuine quarterback, a long term feature who can be like he isn't. He's not the starter. He won't be the starter. He will never be the starter. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens this offseason. If you know it seems like Drew's gonna be done at the end of the year. We'll right. see how he finishes. There is his zero career. chance that Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback in twenty twenty one. None. No, I think the Saints do they go? Do they go for someone like a Philip Rivers for a year? Try to keep him God. from retirement? Do they go reclamation project with a Sam Darnold? Do they feel good? They're going to get. They might get a read on what Jameis can do in yeah. this offense in the in the next couple of weeks. We don't know as of recording time. We don't have any reports on Drew Brees. So the report for Brees is that multiple multiple ribs, not just one rib. Yeah, multiple ribs. He called it accumulation of things. Yeah. Right? Because remember he, he got hit he got hit a few times in the Bears game, but leading up to the Bucks game, he got put on the injury report for his shoulder. Um he's forty one. This is and the just thing, a lot right? of that stuff. This accumulates. is part of the problem of aging. It's not even like it this is the Brett Favre side of the aging thing, right? At some point you just become more brittle as you get old. So you, things break easier and when they break they don't get put back together quick enough. Well, coming coming into the season, even before Drew Brees was getting crushed, we said, should he take four or five games off? Should they go load management and say, okay, we have to get... The, the, the reason for having Jameis is to get by for a few games yeah. 
and their best shot of winning a Super Bowl is probably with Drew Brees rather than Jameis Winston and getting Drew Brees healthy for week 15, 16, 17, mostly for the playoffs. Regardless of what the x-rays say or what the prognosis is, do we just say, Drew, take a month off. I'll see you in December. I'll see you I mean, in mid-December. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I'd just give him a month off, but I would say like this is definitely op- an opportunity to rest him for a period. Now, yeah. the problem with that is that resting him last year didn't do anything. Like he came back and his arm was still a noodle. So it's not like it's not like you staved off the decline. Yeah, I'm not saying he's going to like add five miles an hour or anything. No, no, like no that, but even but like you're going to at least have him in one yeah, piece. But like last year and the year before that, it was like the arm fell off late in the year. But last year you could be like well he sat down for five games this year maybe we'll push it five games down the line only that didn't happen at all it fell off at like the same time and then this year it didn't even fall off it just started off it started off having fallen um but yeah i I mean there's no reason to rush him back with a Jameis winston that's what having Jameis winston does for you is buy you the luxury of not having to rush drew Brees back off the hospital bed their next their next four weeks the saints have the falcons the broncos the falcons and the Eagles. Yeah. Give Jameis four starts. And then they play the Chiefs. Yeah. Right? So, by the way, the Chiefs play some. They, they still play. The Chiefs still have to play the Saints, the Bucks. We mentioned the Dolphins. The Chiefs have some fun games coming up in the in the second half here. Um, but you could easily see the Saints just saying, all right, we'll see you, we'll see you December 20th against the Chiefs. That's assuming it's not like a season-ending injury or anything. I, I don't think it is. He got hurt and then stayed in the game yeah. for a little bit. But he said, again, he said it wasn't a pain thing. It was my body couldn't do it, right? right? He couldn't throw the ball, apparently. So it is likely and if si- it's ribs, significant. If there's ribs, there's like there's basically nothing he could have done that would keep him out for like the rest of the year. I mean, even if he snapped the rib in half, like it would heal in a month. He's good. He's fine. Doctor? Doctor. Doctor's got it. Hey, I'm on the case. Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, I've been waiting all gay, all podcast for this one. The Cincinnati Bengals huh. and the Pittsburgh Steelers Man. at Old Takes Exposed. Imagine, please. If, imagine if you'd come into this game saying that the Bengals are going to win. That would be embarrassing. That would be awkward. Listen, who would have done that? Listen, it was on a whim in the middle of the podcast. And I said, this is going to be it. The Bengals are going to win. Look, I was wrong by a lot. Yeah. I was, a, I was really wrong. <laughs> well, if you're going to be wrong, you might as well go all the way. They're unblowoutable. Wrong. Yeah. They're going to pull off the ste- you know, beat the Steelers. Wrong. wrong. Yeah. Franchise defining. Wrong. Burrow. Good. Wrong. Everything was wrong. Yeah. Everything. Everything was wrong. Uh-huh. That's as wrong as you can be in a game. At Old Takes Exposed, please advise. Steve said something wrong. Please tell everyone. Tell everyone I was wrong. Um. Steelers, they're all up in my mentions right now. <laughs> they're all up on my Twitter account. I don't care, though. I uh, don't care. Okay. I don't care. All right. All right. Uh, Big Ben still didn't play that great, but had really good stats. Yeah, Tell everybody yeah. about it. <laughs> well, I mean, he threw the ball directly to Jesse Bates that didn't count because Bates dropped it. Um, 
Look, yeah. The Steelers, by the way, they played this game as if they they follow at PFF and saw my take. Yeah. They um they're playing the Bengals, who you know they should be able to run run all over and all that stuff. I mean, they hardly even tried to run the ball until it was very late in the game. They hardly even. They were just chucking it left and right. Even when the game was in hand, they were chucking right. it all over but the like, place trying to Cincinnati make. Cincinnati had like one healthy cornerback. Like, yeah. Not only is the Bengals' defense already pretty bad and well set up to like make a team look good, the opposing offense that is, they also ran out of cornerbacks. They had like one healthy corner coming into this game. Like, this, if you couldn't look good in this game, it would say some pretty concerning things about your future. I didn't know that when I made the prediction, or I didn't actually consider that uh, when I made the okay. prediction. All right, no excuses, no excuses. I I'm was, just saying I that, like, wrong. this is not if you're a, if you're an angry Steelers fan, and there's a lot of them out there, right, feeling disrespected because they're nine and zero. They've Ben Roethlisberger's numbers are fantastic. Like, you're the fourth best team in the NFL, and just people feel good are about saying that. that the Chiefs are better, right? There's a lot of pissed off Steelers fans out there. If you're that guy, this is not the game to come crowing into everybody's mentions off the back of because you faced a bad Bengals team that made Baker Mayfield look like Superman and they were down to like one healthy cornerback. Like, it's just not. If you couldn't put up this kind of performance against that team, that would be concerning. The fact that you did is like an as expected. It's not not an achievement. And, And once again, Big Ben, not an MVP candidate. Oh, no. He's not in the MVP race. You know what else he isn't? He's not in the comeback player of the year conversation either. No, Alex Smith's got that. Yeah, and if he isn't, Jason Verrett's got that. Like, Big Ben is way down that list. Um, I will say, though, the bottom line is I think the Steelers are dangerous because Ben, even in a game where it was like every time he missed a throw, he just comes back and he ended up making one. It was like miss and hit and miss, and, and that's how they ended up moving the ball, which is fine. I mean, big that was more old-school Ben Roethlisberger rather than just underneath spread the ball around it was he was he made a lot of plays now he did throw one right to jesse bates and he, he did have some dangerous stuff in there as well but this is as aggressive as he's been this season that's what it, yeah so this is my take on the steelers before is like let's not let's not claim that big ben has somehow carried them this year it has been an overall team effort you should appreciate that steelers but fans. again that's probably easier when you have no corners to deal with it of course it is against the bengals but my my point is the last couple of weeks big ben made a ton of plays against the Cowboys last week in this game it was it was uneven but he's he's capable of being aggressive I mentioned this in the interview with Mina he's capable and when you have these various receivers I think it I think it makes them dangerous when you have Juju and Deontay Johnson and uh, Chase Claypool James Washington Eric Ebron in an aggressive Big Ben it makes them pretty dangerous look that's why they're undefeated yeah it is and it's they have a real shot of going undefeated right Ben Roethlisberger essentially changes this. Ben Roethlisberger over the quarterback situation that they had last year of Duck and Mason Rudolph is the difference between essentially a 500 team and a team that has a real shot to go undefeated. Um, They face Baltimore again, which will be a challenge. They face Buffalo, which will be a challenge, and the Colts, which will be a challenge, right? I guess the Browns maybe. We'll see how they work out. The Bengals again, they should stomp them based off what just happened. And Washington and the oh, Jags. Did we date? I never said when the upset was going to happen. It. I just, I mean, it could happen. Um, so they have a shot of going undefeated. But even if they don't, if they lose one or two games, like Roethlisberger is the difference between going 500 and having maybe the best record in the NFL. The question, though, is what happens in the playoffs in January in the AFC championship game when they face the Chiefs? 
and the Chiefs will have Patrick Mahomes out there dealing. What will you have? Because if they have Ben Roethlisberger playing the way he's currently been playing, I'm not sure that's good enough. That's my only point in all of this. It's not that he's bad. It's not that he's even like not good. It's that you're going to be measured. It's like the, um, the New Orleans conversation we've been having, right? You are being graded on a curve of it's Super Bowl or bust. The Steelers are being graded on you have to get past the Chiefs. Can you do that? And if Roethlisberger doesn't step up from where he's been most of the season, I don't know if they can. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think the aggressiveness is there if needed. And that's, that's how I viewed it. It's like, don't, don't attribute credit to Ben looking back just because the Steelers won all these games because he wasn't the biggest reason for it. It was everything around him. He played fine, but he's not playing like a top 10 quarterback. Is he capable of playing top 10 caliber quarterback? Yes. And again, he's not an MVP candidate because he's got, what, 22 picks and 22 touchdowns and four picks. Based off these 26 plays, my quarterback is MVP. No, that's not the case. Have you seen Joe Burrow's stats under pressure from that game? No, I haven't. Please enlighten. Uh, 13 attempts, zero completions. Oh, gosh. Now, to be fair, three of them were dropped, but I can't remember a time when a quarterback has had that many snaps under pressure and completed nothing. Get it to the Twitter. Get it to PFF Twitter. All right, let's wrap it up. AFC West. The Las Vegas Raiders destroy the Denver Broncos. This was the game. So we've had we fight with quarter, fans of quarterbacks all the time. If your if your team has a good record, and you have a quarterback that's putting up decent stats, and we don't have a perfect grade on him, we ended up we butt heads. That's what happens. Mm. Let me point you to this game where Derek Carr did not have good stats, but right now a, our highest graded passing quarterback of the week to highlights the PFF system. This was the opposite of what we had seen earlier this year. Derek Carr made some good throws that did not show up in the stat sheet. Deep ball dropped and uh, just other passes that he made that were really good. So yeah. he yep. played better than the stats would indicate. Nelson Aguilar went back to being Nelson Aguilar. Drops touchdown for, for Aguilar. So Carr should have, his grade was much better than his stats would show. Josh Jacobs was fantastic. Josh Jacobs looked a little bit like Alvin Kamara in this one. Like I know they he runs the same way every week, but... Kamara has that ability to just never take the, the straight hit, right? Yeah. And have that just bendability and dudes bouncing off you type of stuff. Jacobs felt like he had a little more of that in this way. In this yeah, one. Jacobs might be a better runner, ball carrier, than I gave him credit for coming out. But what's interesting to me is they still haven't really tapped into what I think he can do as a receiver I as agree. much as they should. I agree. And that he, I think, is there. Like, he actually might have Kamara-like skill set in terms of what he can do as a receiving back. And they haven't really tapped into that at all yet. Like... If they do, at some point down the line, like we could be talking about him as the next Alvin Kamara. Yeah, and when you look at the receiving, I, I, I know they they let him down yesterday, but the receiving weapons, even if they don't catch the ball, <laughs> the uh, the fear instilled in defenses by a Henry Ruggs, yeah, um, having Darren Waller, having a Hunter Renfro, Aguilar, Brian Edwards. I mean, they have they have a good solid group, and you throw Josh Jacobs into that group as a receiver, they're dangerous. Uh, give me what'd you see from Drew Locke? Uh, a lot of bad, a lot of bad, a lot yeah. of bad. General theme of throwing the ball to oh, uh, to Las Vegas players. Not good. I mean, yeah, I, it was poor. We Drew Locke, it's reaching the point where, I, look, I know he's, he doesn't have the best situation in the world, right? Denver's offensive line isn't great, but he is murdering the rookie season of Jerry Judy. 
he is reaching the point now where you're like, I haven't seen an awful lot to suggest that we can go forward with Drew Locke. Like, as bad as his situation is, it's not worse than the situation that Joe Burrow has been in all season. It's not worse than the situation that Justin Herbert has been in all season. It's probably not worse than the situation that Tua has been in for a few weeks. All of those guys have probably shown more than Drew Locke has already. I would disagree on Tua, but... Maybe Tua, but the other two certainly have. Like, you're just running out of time at this point. Like, Drew Locke has to show something pretty quickly, and not even, like, the high-end stuff, just the not throwing the ball to linebackers stuff. Yeah, it was, that was, it was bad. Five turnover-worthy plays. I mean, red zone interceptions and just... Wow, it was bad. So, yeah, I mean, Drew Locke hasn't had that many good games in his career. That's the bottom line. They won games down the stretch last year despite him, and let's not be too quick to declare the franchise quarterback deal. So, good job, Raiders. Their schedule has gotten easier, and, you know, they, they had, a, had a bear of a schedule in the first half of the season. They survived, and here they are making a second-half push. Raiders going to do any kind of damage? Their they, secondary had been so bad, and it's one of those, like, when Drew Locke keeps throwing you the ball, it's going right. to look a little bit better, but can you do it now? you got to do it against the Chiefs again next week. Falcons have a pretty good passing attack at home in a couple weeks. you get got the Colts a few weeks later. Chargers, Dolphins. It's not an easy schedule by any means, but the Raiders are right in the thick of it. Yeah, and they're definitely a better team than we gave them credit for heading into the season. Um, and in particular, I think... Henry Ruggs and that deep ball has transformed that offense, even if it didn't come off this week. And Derek Carr is a better quarterback because of it. Um, and he, he hasn't even become that much more aggressive. It's just that it's been more successful overall. But the point is that was what was missing. It's not even that It's not even that the – I mean, it is that the, the deep ball was lacking in previous years, but the volume wasn't as important as actually connecting on some of these. And that's what's happened this year is they've connected on a lot more of them and now the threat is there every play, which is the important thing, right? Even if you're not hitting them more of them than you did uh, or dramatically more of them or attempting more of them, you're scaring teams more with them, which transforms how they play you the other 55 snaps of the game. They host the Chiefs on Sunday night football. Remember, they beat the Chiefs. They only lost for Kansas City this year when Derek Carr threw for over 200 yards down the field on deep passes. So we'll see if they... Remain aggressive next week. So that'll do it, man. Uh, Thursday, uh, Monday Night Football, still have Bears and Vikings. Battle of the Michigan State quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins beat out Nick Foles mm. at Michigan State and forced Foles to transfer to Arizona. So if you won the quarterback battle in college, it automatically means you're going to win in the NFL. So look for the Vikings to win with right. Cousins. We've got full analysis on that game. On the preview podcast, go back and check it out if you feel so inclined. That'll do it for us. Week 10 reviews in the books. We'll be back on Thursday talking all things week 11 in the NFL. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Thursday. Thursday.